So today we look at one of the greatest stories in all of scripture um, and one of the richest theologically, which is the fall of mankind. Of all the stories that permeate our culture and understanding, this story is one of the greatest. It is simple and straightforward, and yet it contains truths about who we are and our relationship to God and to this creation. Truths that are so significant and profound that scholars have yet to unpack its meaning. Who are we? Why do we suffer? Why can't we see God? Why do we feel shame and fear? Why is life so hard sometimes? This story addresses many of these questions as only story can, with an open-ended mystery. Ironically, God's word at its most profound is like a child's bedtime story. This is true of the parables of Jesus as well. This story has a depth of wisdom that is beyond our comprehension. It is my hope that we will be able to dive a bit deeper into its mysteries this morning. Let us begin with the words from the third chapter of Genesis. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Though God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, and the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the garden's trees we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die. In a confounding turn of phrase, the word Aram in Hebrew means cunning, and the word Arumim means naked. Was the serpent the most naked because he shed his skin? The play on words is not explained, but creates another level of mystery. Is to be naked somehow to be shrewd? Was the serpent aware of his nakedness? Had he, in fact, eaten the fruit himself? Notice that the serpent begins with a bold-faced lie, which Eve recognizes right away. The serpent begins by claiming that God forbid her from eating all of the trees in the garden. But this is not true. God commanded that she and Adam refrain from eating the fruit of only one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent begins with a lie. Notice that Adam and Eve are vegetarians in Eden. There is no mention of eating animals at all. 
animals were created as sustainers or as company for the earth creature before Eve was made. There is never a question of eating meat, not even the fallen food is meat. The question that we cannot seem to answer is this. Where did the serpent come from? It must be surmised that he was created alongside all the other animals, but why would God create evil? Why make lies? And if the serpent was created unfallen and good as the rest of the garden, what drove him to disobey God and eat of the fruit? On a deeper level, if indeed the serpent is part of the creation, is Eden still Eden with the serpent present in it? Once the serpent is acknowledged, doesn't Eden automatically become less than paradise, even before the fall? And on an even deeper level, is it really possible to have a land of goodness without badness to be its counterpart? Can you ever have joy without pain? Is Eden really possible without the possibility of leaving it? Is truth really truth without the option of a lie? These are some of the paradoxes that this story opens up and they will haunt the human race for thousands of years. Eve interrupts the serpent's lie. She will not let it stand or even let him finish his sentence. She interjects what she understands to be true, but which is also not entirely correct. In an unfallen state, she begins with a confirmation of the positive first. She clarifies, from the fruit of the garden's trees we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it and you shall not touch it lest you die. Now the reality is that God commanded the humans not to eat the fruit but God made no mention of touching it. Eve has expanded the commandment beyond its reach. The serpent then lies again, but this lie is much closer to the truth. You shall not die, for God knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. This is a lie interwoven with truth and therefore much more dangerous. We will not die immediately, but we will end up dying. Our eyes will be opened, yes, but we will not become like gods. We will be crippled by the knowledge that is too much for us. We will become less like gods and more like broken creatures with this knowledge for it is too heavy for us to bear. 
My sister-in-law is a pediatric rheumatologist. At the end of a long day of seeing patients, a boy came in with his mother. He had a large lump in his leg. April, my sister-in-law, knew immediately that this may be an aggressive form of cancer that usually kills. The mother and son were oblivious. They just wanted it removed. April came home crippled by the knowledge of what she had seen. Tests would be run immediately and she would have to tell this boy's mother a truth that was too hard to hear, a truth that would cause her great pain. To see the root and cause of suffering, but to be powerless against it, it breaks us. Like my friend Gil Ott, who is a Vietnam vet, he saw more than half of his platoon die and he has moved up to Vermont to basically hide. Life in this busy, fast-paced world is too much for him now. He just saw too much. Eve looks at the tree, and she sees that it is beautiful. She desires it, with a verb that is akin to a strong appetite. She desires it intensely, wants it. She is the ultimate consumer, wanting what she doesn't need and may not even want if she could think clearly. She is lured in and desires, that is all. Her decision seems based entirely on emotion and curiosity and not on thought or consideration. It is instinctual. She just wanted it. Eve touches the fruit first and doesn't die immediately, and so she consumes. And she gives some to the man, and he eats. And the scripture reads, And the eyes of the two were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. The fall is linked with perception. Their eyes were opened. They perceived themselves for the first time, they became self-conscious, and that ego is the beginning of suffering. What is this connection between intelligence, awareness, and suffering? It seems that the fall of mankind is linked to the consumption of something that opened our eyes to the knowledge of good and evil. And with that new perspective, we became aware of our very selves, of our vulnerability, and of our nakedness. But why would awareness of nakedness produce shame and fear? I believe that we are not wholly capable of seeing what we see. We can perceive death, 
human suffering, injustice, and oppression, and we can try to remedy them, but we cannot fully take them in without some pain. We were not created to be this aware. It causes us great discomfort. It causes us pain because it produces attachment and we cannot just observe the pain without absorbing it. And so humans mask this pain by dulling it with drugs, avoiding it when possible, denying death, not overtly, but simply by planning life as, it will, as if it will go on forever, and striving to be as comfortable as possible. We all want money, love, and companionship, community, and all the good things of life. Of course we do. We would voluntarily avoid any kind of suffering or any suffering of our loved ones if it were up to us. But suffering seems to come even to the most well-off. And when misfortune hits, we find ourselves incapable of taking it in. Suffering does not belong to us. It doesn't feel fair, and we do not belong to it. We were meant for Eden. I am reminded of an innocent child who is sexually molested. The child cannot fathom such an evil, such a wrongdoing. The innocence of this young mind has not yet conceived of sexual violence, of objectification and hatred, and it is not designed to take it in. Often this kind of abuse can lead to severe mental illness, for the child's brain is overwhelmed. It is like a container made up of chocolate that is asked to house boiling water. It begins to melt. We are innocent. We were meant for love, safety, and kindness, and for the goodness of the womb. Children are born expecting and deserving that their needs will be met, but the broken world cannot meet those needs perfectly, and the pain that ensues is alien to us. It just feels wrong. So we squirm and ignore and analyze and try to fix and work to heal and sometimes hurt or kill and none of it makes the pain go away. None of it. Just last night, I went to the NICU to visit a newborn. The mother was sitting by her baby boy crying. She had taken drugs while she was pregnant. Seeing her tiny baby boy detox produced great pain in this young woman. She became aware of what her drug habit had done to her baby. I prayed for her, absolved her, blessed her, and blessed the child with her promise never to touch the drugs again. This little boy was born into a fallen world, born and immediately forced to withdraw from drugs. 
His mother loves him, but is only now beginning to learn about what love means. And with her awareness comes her pain. And so we fall into a world that we were not designed to inhabit. But God, out of love, searches for us and never leaves us. This is heavy-duty stuff this morning. I know it is. And I want you to ponder with one another these questions. Begin by sharing with one another one story of how you came to realize that the world was broken or fallen, preferably something from your childhood. When did you begin to wake up? Hopefully, if you had a good childhood, it was later. The later, the better, right? How does our self-awareness and shame contribute to our suffering? 